If you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to Proverbs chapter 1, please. Proverbs chapter 1. Without question, in my opinion, 9-11-2001 is the national event of my lifetime. My father's generation had World War II and the assassination of John F. Kennedy, but to me and my generation, 9-11 can't even be approached. I was on the seventh tee box at the golf course in Metter when we heard the news. I was playing golf with some men in the church and someone called me and said, have you seen the news? Are you near a television? We jumped in our golf carts and we ran to the clubhouse and we stood there dumbfounded as we watched the images on that big screen TV play themselves out. I'd never seen anything like it. What transpired over the next few years actually was an intense investigation to find out exactly what happened. And the investigation revealed information that was both enlightening and tragic. Because over the course of the following months, and again, I say years, we learned that there were warning signs that such an attack was imminent. There were red flags. One of the biggest, at least in my opinion, was finding out that one of the terrorists who flew one of the planes into the World Trade Center learned to fly in Daytona, Florida. And in that aviation school, he said out loud where other people could hear him, I'm not interested in learning how to take off. I'm not interested in learning how to land. I just want to learn how to fly a passenger jet. But no one acted. No one responded. No one took action. Another warning sign or red flag was by another terrorist who flew the plane into the Pentagon, I believe. He trained for months in Minnesota at another aviation school. And it was later found out that he had obvious ties and connections to Osama bin Laden. And Osama bin Laden had stated on many occasions that he wanted to bring the United States down, that he would attack the United States, New York City in particularly, and he would hit us hard. You see, the warning signs were there. Someone was waving the red flag, but we just couldn't put the pieces together fast enough. We're going to talk about warning signs today, red flags. This is the third in a series of messages we've entitled The Path. And so far, we've established that the path principle is always working in all of our lives. The path principle is working in the background of your life right now, my life right now. You cannot disable the path principle. It's not some sort of computer program that you can put to sleep or disengage. It's always working, and it is no respecter of persons. The path principle doesn't care how much money you make. The path principle doesn't care how successful you are, how good-looking you are, how many friends you have. Everyone will answer to the principle of the path. The path principle is as follows. It is our direction, not our intention, that determines our destination. Now that sounds pretty simple on the surface. It is our direction, not our intention, 
that determines our, our destination. You are going to wind up where the road you have chosen takes you. That's the path principle. I bring it to your attention because you won't watch television for very long this afternoon. Again, I need everyone to tune in today on channel 11 at 4.30 to cheer for my Browns. Go ahead and write that down. Before a television commercial, a song that's played in the background, a television news commentator or sportscaster will say just the opposite. They'll try and communicate that your direction really doesn't matter. You should be able to do what you want to do. What matters are your hopes and your goals and your dreams. That's what's going to determine your destination. Not according to this. Not according to the inspired, preserved words and truths of God. You see, the path principle soars above race, opportunity, education, financial status, upbringing. Regardless of your goals, regardless of your dreams, your wants and your wishes, the path principle demonstrates that it's your direction, not your intention, not your hopes, not even your prayers that determine your destination. Now, you may not know this about me, but until I was well into my late 30s, I was a Jeep guy. I had owned about eight Jeeps by then. That's all I ever drove. My very first vehicle when I was 16 years old was a 1976 Jeep CJ5. Look at that hair. <laughs> kind of Eddie Munster looking, isn't it? I love that Jeep. I was so proud of that Jeep. I had to take my driver's test and parallel park that 49-foot Ford station wagon you see in the background. <laughs> I passed with flying colors, and when I got in that little short wheelbase Jeep, I thought I was somebody. A Jeep and a 17-year-old with no doors and no top, that is a beautiful thing. I never put the top on my Jeep. I never had doors on it. I so wish I had that Jeep today. You see, long before Pastor Mike got into big trucks with big tires, I was into little Jeeps with big tires. Nothing like wading your way through a swamp in central Florida in a Jeep. I mean, if it was sand dunes or crossing a river, a cow pasture for that matter, a muddy power line road, I could do it. And we did it. And all my buddies who had the Toyota pickup trucks and the Chevrolet full size and the Ford four-wheel drives, in my opinion, humble as it may not sound, they were no match for my little Jeep. But I learned something very quickly. If you're out with buddies, you're far better off being the second guy through the river <laughs> or the second guy through the mud than the first guy. Because you can learn from his experience. I mean, where he begins to lose traction, you know where not to go. If we're crossing a river or a creek bed and he sinks out of sight, you know where not to go. How tragic and how foolish it would be to watch someone struggle to get past an obstacle and then you turn around and follow directly behind him on the same path. In my work over the past 30 years, I have had countless conversations with people who wish they could go back and do it again, who wish they could turn the clock back 
and have a do-over. I wish I could go back, Mike, with all of the knowledge I have now and take another run at it. Life would be so much easier if I could go back and do it again. But we don't have that luxury, do we? We only go around once. We only have one shot at so many important things. In fact, it's almost unfair when you think about it. Now, follow me. You're going to think I'm trying to be funny, but I'm not. It seems unfair to me that single people have to choose a marriage partner. What does a single person know about being married? What does a single person know about a happy home 30 and 40 and 50 years down the line? My parents were married when they were 18 and 20 years old. Before my mother died, they were almost married 65 years. That's almost unheard of nowadays. Amy and I are approaching 30 years of wedded bliss. You be sure and tell her I said that. (laughs) But what do single people know about getting married? What does a 17-year-old know about choosing a school and a career path? They've never done it before. Wouldn't it be much better if we could just fumble around through life until our mid-30s, maybe live at home with mom, and then somehow magically turn the clock back to when we were 17, and now armed with all of that knowledge and that experience, go ahead and make some of those decisions. But we can't, can we? We don't get to go back and do it over. We have to choose a path, and we have to go for it. And all of those decisions, they manifest a series of firsts in our life. There's the first date, and the first kiss. There's the first serious girlfriend. There's the first graduation. There's the first semester away from home at college. There's a first marriage. There's a first kid. There's a first car loan. There's a first mortgage. There may be a first divorce and a second. Wouldn't it be much easier if somehow, someway, I know it's unrealistic, if we could just go back, and do it over. It's a miracle when you think about it. It proves that we serve a merciful and gracious God that anybody ever winds up in a positive destination at all. Because when we were making those choices and choosing those directions, we didn't know what we were doing. One of the reasons we run into trouble with those choices is because typically, if you're like me, we tend to run down the path of least resistance. We tend to choose the path that makes us feel good. That's how we get ourselves in trouble. We tend to make choices, not just in the moment between two options, we're actually choosing directions. We're choosing paths that lead to certain destinations, and we do so based not on tomorrow, but on today. We convince ourselves it's best for a variety of reasons. It's fun, so I'll do it. I love her. She loves me. It's free. It doesn't cost much. 90 days, same as cash. 0% financing. We're going to save money 
Again, we decide based on today and not tomorrow. Tomorrow's not important to us in that moment, at that decision, when we choose that path. It's all about today. Maybe that's why so many people wind up disappointed and broken. Again, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who regret the path they chose. That's because, as we learned last time, we often choose paths that lead us to destinations we do not desire. We often, because we're human, because we are fallible, we often choose paths in life that lead us to destinations that we really didn't want in the first place. Now, you can call that unfair. You can call that strange. You can call that ironic. But the fact is, it's true. Being fallible, human beings, means that we're going to make mistakes. We're going to miss the big picture from time to time. We're going to choose incorrectly. We'll choose a path that doesn't lead us where we want to go. In fact, to make it worse, we will choose a path that leads us somewhere we don't want to go. Again, it's crazy, but it's true. With that in mind, no wonder we have a loving Heavenly Father who constantly, continually reminds us throughout the wisdom literature in the center of your Old Testament to consider our direction. Proverbs 4 verse 26 says, ponder the path of your feet. Think about it. Pause for a minute. Consider the direction of your marriage is what Solomon is saying. Consider the direction of your money, your finances, your resources. Consider the direction of your health, your body, your well-being. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. This has been my goal for our time together. That's exactly what I want everybody to do. To ponder the direction of the various parts of your life. I want you to consider your direction. I want you to ponder your path because your, your path is taking you somewhere. Your marriage is heading somewhere. It's not standing still. Make sure it's where you want to go. Make sure that when you wind up at your destination, you're pleased. You're satisfied. When I have one of those conversations with someone whose marriage is crumbling, or they're in dire financial straits. Sadly, almost always there were warning signs along the way. There were red flags. In chapter 4 of his book, Andy Stanley shares a short proverb that contains a very powerful and practical message. In fact, it's so simple, I think many of us overlook it. I don't want you to miss it simply because it sounds so elementary. Because if you can act on it, if you get it, you can avoid so much of the heartache that's associated with choosing the wrong path. It comes from Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 12. Solomon wrote, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. No big surprise to everybody. Everyone in the audience understands what's being communicated. You don't have to be a Hebrew scholar and dive deep into the original language to get the message, to see the point. Solomon says, the prudent see danger and they take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this verse in the message. The message reads, a prudent person sees trouble coming and ducks. A simpleton walks in blindly and gets clobbered. 
In the Proverbs, the word prudent most often means wise. When you read about the prudent, Solomon is describing the wise. Now, wisdom, and I'm sure you know this, is not about knowledge. Biblical wisdom, as Proverbs describes it, is not about how many degrees are after your name. Wisdom is insight. Wisdom is the ability to connect a circumstance to a truth. To find and choose proper paths because not of what we know today, what we see today, but what we can see tomorrow. Prudence means wisdom. The naive or the simple means naive. We talked about this last time. Especially if you're a young person. When Solomon calls you simple, he's not trying to insult you. He just means that you haven't had any experience. You're naive. Like we were talking about a moment ago. What does a married uh, single person know about marriage? A person who's going to get married is someone who has no experience in marriage. And yet they're the one who's forced to choose. But they lack experience. Someone who's never made 72 monthly payments on a used automobile doesn't know how grueling that process can become. You go to a dealership, buy a three-year-old car, a five-year-old car, and finance it for six years, let me tell you what's going to happen. About two and a half years in, you're not going to like that car very much. You're going to look around and, it smells like dog and feet and family. Chick-fil-A. You're going to get in your buddy's brand new pickup truck and you're going to say, man, that smells new. Feel those seats. They changed the dash. Man, how this thing rides. 21 miles to the gallon. You're kidding me. And at that moment, it's going to dawn on you. I'm not even halfway finished paying for a car that I don't want any longer. That's because you lacked experience when you made that deal. You're naive. Someone who's inexperienced can't possibly know how everything's going to turn out. It's impossible. No one's judging you for that. You're just naive. The proverbial message of Proverbs 27 verse 12 is simple. When you see trouble coming, you should change direction. Change direction. That's what wise people do. That's what prudent people do. A wise person reacts to the warning signs. A wise person understands that life is connected. No day is an island unto itself. No. Today is connected to tomorrow. Today's decision becomes part of tomorrow's experience and outcome. That's what wisdom understands. That's what the prudent know, that all of life is connected. There's a cause and effect relationship between what I choose today and what I experience tomorrow. Every decision has an outcome. Every path has a destination. And almost every person I've ever encountered who regrets an outcome in their life ignored some of those red flags. Because someone they love or someone they didn't love but they respected tried to warn them. Someone waved the red flag. Someone pointed out the flaws in their plan. Hey, have you thought about this? Do you understand where you're headed? But they chose not to listen. And you know why that is? Because we're all the same. 
And I'll go ahead and be honest with you. Generally, my gut visceral reaction to your concern is you don't know me. Besides, even if you did, I'm smarter than you. Don't you believe you're smarter than me? Hey, by the way, that's not saying much. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, have been all my life. One of the reasons we choose destinations or paths that lead to destinations we do not desire is because we wouldn't listen to someone who raised the red flag. We all know about money we should never have spent. We all know that. I've spent money I should never have spent. I've reacted to certain things in ways that I should have just ignored and gone on. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've assumed and accepted responsibilities that I should have let be. (laughs) I've developed relationships with people that I should not have developed. I've taken chances that I never should have taken. And you see, from a biblical viewpoint, that is the red flag of wisdom. From a biblical viewpoint, that's what wisdom does. Responding to the red flags means refusing to create problems for myself. The scripture, especially Proverbs, teaches us how to do just that. Not to create problems in the first place. But it all boils down to how you answer a very, very important question. Here it is. How do you respond to red flags? How do you react when mom says, hang on, hang on, let's talk about this. How do you react when someone you love or otherwise, respect or otherwise, says, hey, wait a minute, do you see what I see? How do you respond to red flags? The book of Proverbs highlights three kinds of people and three improper improper responses to the warning signs. You don't have to read very far. We're going to read in chapter 1 in just a minute. And in chapter 1, we're already introduced to these three people. Three kinds of people who lack wisdom. Three kinds of people who rush in, make the decision, and then get clobbered. Here they are. The simple, the fool, and the mocker. According to Solomon, there are three kinds of people who ignore the warning signs and fail to respond properly. The simple the fool, and the mocker. The simple is naive. They lack experience. They lack judgment because they haven't been around long enough. They're young. Your teenager honestly believes, Mom, that's not going to happen to me. May have happened to you. May have happened to your buddy. May have happened to the guy we read about in that book, but it's not going to happen to me. The fool, on the other hand, I would never call someone a fool, at least to their face. We'll call them indifferent. They are indifferent. They might even agree with you, but the fact is they just don't care. The fool says, when you wave the red flag, hey, 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 you may be right, but I don't really care. But now this person, the mocker, this is a whole different animal right here. This is big time. You see, unlike the simple, they have been around for a while. They understand decisions and outcomes. 
Very much like the fool, they don't really care what you think. But their response when you wave the red flag is, who are you to judge me? You probably have a mocker in your life. You probably work with a mocker. You probably married a mocker. You probably know a mocker. When you wave the red flag at the mocker, the mocker says, that's exactly what I'd expect a narrow-minded preacher from South Georgia to say. Let's identify each one of them, because Solomon does so, and does so quite vividly. As you read through the book of Proverbs, Solomon describes all three. He names all three. He tells us what they look like. He tells us what they do, and he tells us what they can expect. Here they are very quickly, one at a time. First, the naive. Solomon calls this person simple. Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 7, we examined this passage last time. I saw among the simple a youth who lacked judgment. They lack judgment because they have no experience in life. Parents, your kids are here. That's where your teenager lives. Your teenager's not as defiant as you think he is. Your teenager simply lacks experience and honestly believes, well, that's not going to happen to me. Your teenager is not stupid. <laughs> Your teenager is not ignorant. Your teenager is naive. They really don't believe it's going to happen to them. That's why you got to stay on them constantly about speeding, about texting while they drive, smoking, drinking, social media, the wrong crowd, the whole thing. Because they're not going to see the problem coming. You've got to see it for them. That's what parenting is. They are ripe in their naivete. They can be deceived very easily. The only solution for the simple is submission. The only way to get through life without being badly burned when you're naive is to surrender to the authority that God's placed in your life. Surrender to your parents. They love you. They want the best for you. They see farther down the road than you'll ever see because they got there before you. Surrender to your heavenly father. He loves you unconditionally. The only solution for the simple is submission. If you're naive, you need to admit it. You need to be willing to say, you know what? I haven't been around all that long. You ought to pray, God, even though I don't understand it, and frankly, I don't even agree, I'm still going to trust you. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You know what happens when we surrender or we submit to God? God coaches us. He tutors us through our naivete. He gets us through it. How about this guy? The indifferent. Solomon would call him a fool. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding. A fool doesn't need no more. A fool doesn't need any more information. Not interested. Because a fool doesn't care. The indifferent knows the difference between right and wrong. They just don't care. 
They might even recognize and agree with you as to the problems associated with their lifestyle or their habits or their associations or their relationships or their money. They might even realize what's going to happen next, but they don't care. A fool does the same thing over and over because he doesn't care. He ignores discipline. He ignores new information. The most famous verse in the Bible, in my opinion, concerning a fool, the indifferent, is Proverbs 26 and verse 11. As a fool, excuse me, as a dog returns to its own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. And if you've ever witnessed both firsthand in person, neither one is very pleasing to the eye. If you've ever seen a 155-pound dog hurl up something she swallowed a few minutes ago or hours ago and then come back to it and swallow it again, that's not a good afternoon. If you've ever seen a fool make the same poor decision over and over and over again, that's not easy to witness either. The only solution, according to Solomon, are consequences. Consequences. The only way the indifferent, this person, Solomon would call them a fool, the only way they're going to learn a lesson is they need to feel the pain of those decisions. The Bible says that it takes, quote, blows to the back of a fool to get his attention. See, sometimes the stakes just aren't high enough yet. Sometimes the destinations aren't unpleasant enough yet. But when the consequences are harsh enough, a fool will finally listen. The solution is consequences. That's why, parents, tough love is most often your best tool. Most parents don't appreciate or like the idea of tough love. But if your child is indifferent, if they know the difference, but they just don't care, tough love may be your only solution. Here's the last one, the mocker, the scoffer. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7 says, Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. <laughs> the text goes on to read, Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. I have rebuked mockers and seen them leave the church. I have rebuked mockers and got a tongue lashing like you wouldn't believe. I have rebuked mockers in my home office, in this office, on the street, in someone else's home, and had them swear me up and down. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. You see, the mocker's already considered the evidence, but like the fool, he doesn't care. But what's different about the mocker is that the mocker also harbors a deep-seated bitterness toward you for making different choices. You've chosen wisdom. You've chosen purity, godliness. You've chosen to pursue righteousness, and the mocker hates you for it. The simple, the fool, and the mocker. According to this book, <laughs> there is no cure for the mocker. There is no cure. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 10, the only thing you can do is drive this person away. Keep this person away from your teenager. Keep this person away from your wife, your husband. Keep that person away from your family. That's the only solution because they are indifferent and they'll only wind up hating you. But now, you can pray for a mocker, but you better establish some boundaries. You can even love a mocker, 
but you better keep your distance. In contrast to the naive, the indifferent, and the mocker, Solomon in chapter 1, the book of Proverbs, points to the wise or the prudent. The prudent see trouble coming and they take refuge. They change their direction. I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 28, the tail end of the chapter. Solomon writes, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. In chapter 1 of Proverbs, wisdom has been personified. Solomon is talking about wisdom. Wisdom is actually doing the speaking here. Then they will call to me. They, who are they? The simple, the fool, and the mocker. They're already introduced earlier in the chapter. Then they will call to me, but will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. In other words, one day when these three people arrive at that destination they despise, that's when they're going to seek a new direction. That's when they're going to look for an answer. That's when they want to find a shortcut. That's when they want wisdom, prudence, to reveal a new path. Wisdom says, you're not going to find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord... Verse 30, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and will be filled with the fruit of their schemes. That is the path principle personified. Ways, schemes. You will arrive at the place or the destination where the road you've chosen has taken you. Keep reading. For the waywardness of the simple will kill, kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. He's already spent the bulk of the chapter earlier on dealing with the mocker. Now we've got all three here, all three who ignored the warning signs along the way. But watch verse 33. But. That's a great biblical word. But. In contrast to that outcome that nobody wants, but in contrast to these reactions, but whoever, oh, that's beautiful right there. Once again, that demonstrates that ours is a God who is merciful, gracious, and loving. Whoever, young and old alike, rich or poor alike, educated or ignorant alike, whoever, even if, even if, You've ignored the red flags before. The path principle works both ways. You can change direction, and the path principle mandates that it will lead you to a better destination. Whoever listens to me will live in, get these words, safety, and be at ease without fear of harm. Wisdom promises that her way is best. The prudent way is best. Deciding today in light of tomorrow, that's always best. At ease, without fear of harm. Which of these three seats do you sit upon? If you sit in the first chair, the naive, you probably think I sound like an overreactive parent. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard it all before. That's not going to happen to me. If you sit here, you really don't care what I think because you've already made up your mind. You're indifferent about tomorrow. But if you sit here, you're probably going to preach me one heck of a sermon in your car on the way home or send me one of those nasty emails because you know better. Look, the path principle works both ways. You can arrive at a desired destination of your choosing 
But you start by refusing to create problems for yourself. And it all begins with your response to instruction and what you do when you see a red flag. Proverbs 27, verse 12. You ought to commit this verse to memory. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Let's pray. Father, make us prudent in our reaction to the warning signs. Make us wise in our reaction to the red flags. Father, may we be willing to alter our course, to change our path, when someone we respect, someone we love, your authoritative inspired word confronts us with our decision. Go with us this day. Walk with us this week. May we choose paths for marriage and money and relationships and downtime and social media and recreation that honor you. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, God bless you, Grace Community Church. I hope you make it a fantastic week. I will see you next time. Go Browns!